Good afternoon. Welcome to the exchange. If this is your first time, we're very happy that you could join us today, especially because today um, we're doing something a little different. And you might have noticed that under your chair there are some pieces of Lego. All right. Now I'm going to ask that you go look under your chair um, and take the pieces of Lego. And while I'm sharing the presentation today, I want you to construct with the pieces that you've been given. No cheating and no taking from your neighbors. Um, just the ones that are under your seat. Okay. Oh, I've already some cheating going on here. Oh no, you're helping. Okay, that's okay. Helping is all right. So grab some of the Lego pieces, or all of the Lego pieces, I should say. Grab all the Lego pieces under your chair, and I want you to construct a representation of yourself in whatever that means. Whatever that means. All right. Whatever that means to you. I want you to construct a representation of yourself. All right, and so um, I will not mind this time that you will be distracted, semi-distracted while I'm sharing today. But um, yeah, so everyone has their Legos. All right, excellent. Now, the very dramatic poem that you just heard. Has anyone heard that line before? No man is an island, right? Very famous line. And I'm sure you've also heard the end of that poem. You know, for whom the bell tolls, right? But did you actually know that it's the same poem, and that together in context, what that poem is trying to say is that no individual can do something and it not influence someone else or something else. In other words, each of us are interdependent. Each of us impacts and influences um, someone else. And you know, this idea, no man is an island, that is often quoted for many, many different causes. For example. In environmental efforts, we believe that the amount of carbon footprint each person leaves behind can make a difference on generations hereafter, right? And so each person can and and does make a difference. And also, when it comes to global financial interdependency, you know, if one market crashes over there, we know it's going to have ripple effects on the rest of the world. And so this idea that no man is an island is something that we have accepted, but. I think sometimes we accept it reluctantly. In other words, we wish we could be independent. We wish we didn't need other people, but I guess we do. But I would like to propose this afternoon that it's not just a reality that we have to, you know, reluctantly hold on to, but perhaps that it is a blessing that has been built into our DNA, and that actually we can. Become more effective as individuals and as a community if we embrace that truth that no man is an island. When it comes to spiritual life, especially when it comes to church community, I think this paradox is played out all the time. We're doing Roy and I a series for the next few weeks on some of the paradoxes of Christianity, and this is the first one today: the paradox of individualism versus community. And what I mean is, you know, we we say that our walk with God is personal, right? It's been me. It's between me and God. It's our personal walk. You can't own my walk. It's my own. But then we have this paradox because the Bible and and the church. You know, we, we talk about promoting this idea of community, of something not just being your own personal individual walk, but of being a communal walk. So the question becomes, well, why is that paradox there, and how do we harmonize it, and what does it mean for our lives today? Especially when it comes to the word church, it's kind of a loaded word. Unfortunately, that word is、uh, has a very negative connotation for a lot of people. If you were to say, "Hey, do you want to go to church?" 
to someone who usually doesn't go to church, you're probably going to get an array of different responses. Um, I've done some research to find out the top 10 reasons why people don't go to church. I wonder if you can guess some of them. Any guesses on what some of those might be? I think this battery is dead. Daryl, could you be my clicker? Sorry, you'll have to put the Legos aside for a moment. <laughs> huh? Oh, it's not on. Ha ha, never mind. Okay, there we go. You can go back to your Legos. All right, so top 10 reasons people don't go to church. Any guesses? Any, any reasons that you think people don't go to Yeah, Kuda. Uh, uh, yes, they just want my money, right? What else? It's boring. Yep. So far, we've got two for two. Yep. Judgment, yeah, judgmental, hip hypocritical people in the church. Why would I want to go? Anything else? Irrelevant. Irrelevant. Yep. Sorry, Stephen. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God. Why should I go to church? Anything else? It's weird. It's weird. No time. No time. Yeah. Anything else? Think... Yep. That's right. I don't need an organized. You've heard that. I don't like organized institutions. Um, I can do my own thing, my own spiritual journey. All right, pretty good. I think we've hit most of them. Christians are judgmental negative. Church is boring. Church is exclusive. Christians are homophobic. Organized religion is bad. Church is full of hypocrites. Church just wants my money. Um, life is better without religion. Christians live on another planet and wear brown sweaters like in The Simpsons, you know. And uh, I'm too busy. I have other things to do. So these are some of the reasons that people uh, give for not going to church. And perhaps we can resonate with some of those today. <laughs> perhaps we've given those reasons as well. But I'm going to challenge this mindset that unfortunately has been um, presented, I believe, because of a lot of misrepresentations and misunderstandings of what church is. And I'm going to propose to you that instead there is a, uh, the right view of what church is and that there is uh, a way to have church that actually can be meaningful, relevant, positive, and attractive for people. But before I go further, let me define what I mean by church. Here's my definition. It's a very simple one of what I mean by church. The church is a community of individuals who gather together to seek, know, and worship God, and to make God known. All right, that's just my simplified definition of church. It's not... You know, when we think about church, we often think the church building, right? Or we think about uh, the corporate worship service. Like, are you going to church this week? And we think it's that once a week type of thing that is church. And sometimes people say, well, do you belong to church? And we're talking about a denominational affiliation through birth, baptism, or attendance. But I'm telling you today that my definition of church, and I believe it's a biblical one, is that the church is a community. The church is an assembly. Literally, the Greek word ecclesia means a called-out assembly. Assembly that has gathered together for a purpose. And what is that purpose? Um, this is called the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. That this idea that Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, as though I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This thing called the Great Commission is basically Jesus saying, go fulfill this purpose of making followers like me, who understand me, who want to be in a relationship with me, and who want to become like me. 
That's the purpose of church. And I just want to add that a lot of times we think that is then ministering to people out there. But actually, if you look at this in context, it requires ministry to ourselves, each other inside as well as outside. Let me uh, explain a little bit more what I mean. You've heard that phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah? And for those of you who have children, I think there are like a few of us in here. It really does take a lot of work and a lot of people to raise a child. Not just the uh, actual parents of that child who are responsible for the child's physical, emotional, you know, welfare. But, you know, think about teachers. We've got some teachers in this room. Teachers, mentors, um, spiritual guides. Um, there's so many grandparents, you know, aunts, uncles, extended family. There are so many people who influence and mold the child's development. So if we say that it takes a village to raise a child, why would it be any different when it comes to raising a child of God? Why wouldn't it take a community to give that child different angles of lessons, different areas of expertise and wisdom to hand down, um, different ways of helping that child understand what it means to be uh, a child of God and to grow up in this world. Here's another way of looking at it. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16, this is what it says. Talking about God, He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But, speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. In other words, it's simply saying, every single person is a body part coming together, creating a fuller, you could say, picture of God. And so if one person is, is let's say, the mouth, you know, sharing about Jesus, but another person could be the hand representing the compassionate service of Jesus. Another person could be the feet going out into um, helping others meet their needs. And so it's almost like a puzzle piece, if you can picture that. Just that each of us represents just one puzzle piece and that all of us is really needed in order to have a complete picture of Jesus. That my understanding, my personality, my experience, my life, I'm going to understand God up to only a certain point. Not, not one person has a full picture of God. But together, as I talk with Sam, who has had a different experience, different personality, her relationship with God, as she shares with me, oh, I gain a greater glimpse of what God is like. Because God is not just a one-faceted person. I heard my professor at seminary describe Jesus as a diamond, and that as diamond has many facets, and as the light shines through, you've got so many different angles of beautiful lights coming out, different arrays, different colors. And in the same way, as Jesus, the diamond, shines his light, um, that each of us is kind of a representation of that light being, being shown to the world. And each of us is going to show a different portion. Alone, you can only represent one part of Jesus, but together, we can then learn not only more about Jesus for ourselves, 
but then show the world a better picture of who he actually is. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, I shared it at um, Stephen and Karina's wedding reception. The idea that God says, let us create man in our image according to our likeness. And the question is, well, what is his image? What is God like? And he says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So there's this idea that men alone cannot represent the picture of God, the image of God. Women alone cannot reflect the image of God. Men and women together uh, reflect the image of God that God has created in mankind. Here's another way to, um, another metaphor to think about church or the church community. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you know what the word workmanship means? Anyone? The word workmanship, the original Greek there, is actually poeo, which is actually poetry. And I love that as, a, as someone who has studied literature. Um, Max Lucado in his book, Grace for the Moment, wrote that the church is a poem, that each of us is a word, and we need each other to have meter, rhyme, and meaning. This is what he said. God uses all types to type his message. Logical thinkers, emotional worshipers, dynamic leaders, docile followers, the visionaries who lead, the studious who ponder, the generous who pay the bills. Alone, we are meaningless symbols on a page, but collectively, we inspire. This is not what poetry is. Meaningless words, unless put together in a certain way, and then it, it inspires. And that's what a church is. We are his poetry. We are his workmanship, created to inspire. Here's another reason why we need the church community. We need the church community because we have been built to be inter interdependent. As I said, we were created in his image. And if you think about it, God, three in one, himself is in a community. And so when he created us, he created us so that we are meant for community. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 12 to 27, it's a bit long, but I think it, it conveys a very important message. It says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God um, sets has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all to one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No much rather, those members of the body would seem to be weak or unnecessary. And then make sure I get to the last part here. Oops, sorry. And at the very end it says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. In other words, each of us has a very important and equal part to play. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in, um, well, who's in leadership or what, what am I involved in and, well, you know, who's that and where's this? And we, we somehow think, well, I'm not as important or it's okay if I'm not there. 
or we we fail to realize that we are all actually equally important to each other. And I like how in this passage it talks about how if one member of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. That if someone is going through difficulty, that the rest of us, it should impact the rest of us. The idea of community is that when someone is going through a difficult time, that we can be able to give support. We need each other to lean on. And that's something as a society that we don't really like, isn't it? A lot of us, uh, because the rest of the world thinks this way, think that somehow it's, it means that you're stronger if you can make it on your own. Have you ever thought that? It's, if I need someone else, that makes me weak. That it's better if I do it on my own. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried working with a team? Um, whether it was a school project or in your workplace or wherever it was. Have you ever tried working in a team? Is it easier to work by yourself or with a team? Yeah, it's a lot easier to work by yourself. Why? Why? That's human error. <laughs> the other person's human error, not yours, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot harder to work with someone else because there might be differences of opinion, then you have to work through that. Or, you know, you have to depend, what if that person doesn't get it right? Like, you, know, you have to trust the other person. It's a lot more difficult to work in a team. But let me ask you another question. If you worked in a team, is it possible, if, you know, everything works out, is it possible that you're going to get some end result that is better than if you worked by yourself? Yeah. And so, and that's how we get married, right? You're going to have and results that hopefully you can't do on your own, right? And so the, the idea that, you know, somehow we're weak if we need other people is an idea that is actually quite self-destructive. For example, uh, we went to a boundary seminar with some of the leaders. Um, and in this boundary seminar, they were talking about how pastors or church leaders who work alone, right, they're actually opening themselves up to be very vulnerable to... Um, falling into risk categories of um, either abuse of power or um, of burning out or, you know, there's a whole list of things that could happen when you work alone. Whereas they find that if you work in a team, right, there's accountability, there's sharing of the load, there's greater ideas, there's, um, you know, greater synthesis of, of end products coming out. And so one of the things that they emphasized was work in a team. Because while it may seem that working and doing it on your own makes you a stronger, better person, it actually is a lot more difficult, but in the end, more worthwhile to have the humility and the wisdom and the conflict managing skills necessary to work with other people. But I guess the question becomes, well, in a church, do we really want that? I'm sure you've all either been in or have heard of church conflict, church politics, right? Do we really want that? Ugh, you know, it's one of the things that turn a lot of people away from church. Like, can we just avoid all that? And can't I just worship God on my own? These people are turning me off from God. I would like to propose a challenge to you. That, and, and that's what these Legos are for. Let me share a verse that um, will illustrate this, this new metaphor that I'm presenting. So. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. 
And Peter says, coming to him, that's Jesus, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Have you ever seen a building construction? You know, there's tons all around the city, right? Even as you drove or took the train here, you would have noticed at least one. Now, when you pass a building site, do you think to yourself, oh, what a mess. What is wrong with the architect? Why can't they get this together? Why does it look so bad? Definitely don't ever want to be in that building. No, we would think to ourselves, it's under construction. Yeah, there's a lot of scaffolding, there's debris, there's chaos, there's, you know, all that happening. But I bet you in a few weeks or a few months, depending on how big the building and how quickly they move, I know, Sam, you wish they would move faster sometimes, um, that building is going to be complete, right? And so we all understand that. But why is it that when it comes to us, we forget that we are under construction? When this verse says that we are living stones coming together to build up this church, to build up this building, to build up this spiritual house, what is Peter trying to say? Why does he say living stones? Living stones. Have you ever tried to put stones together to try to make a building? <laughs> or any kind of project? By the way, these Legos are Galen's Legos. Please treat them with love and respect because <laughs> he cares about them very much. They're very special to him. And, you know... These Lego pieces, they're very nicely manufactured for us to be able to build easily, right? But can you imagine taking stones and trying to build something? What would happen? Friction? Tension? Some, something would have to rub off? Something might break away? It doesn't quite come together very nicely? So when the Bible says that we are living stones built together, there's an implication there that this isn't an easy process. <laughs> This is not exactly like Legos coming together. It's a lot more like people with simple tendencies and habits and different personalities coming together in one place trying to get along. That's church community. Why would God want that? This is what... Uh, one Christian uh, theologian and writer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, wrote about community. He wrote, Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate, with ourselves. Because God has already laid the only foundation of our fellowship, because God has bound us together in one body with other Christians in Jesus Christ, long before we entered into common life with them, we enter into that common life not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. We thank God for what he has done for us. We thank God for giving us brethren who live by his call, by his forgiveness, and his promise. And he goes on to say that not everyone has the great fortune of being part of a visible fellowship. Those in prison, those who are sick, the scattered lonely, the missionaries. He says, look, not everybody even has an opportunity to, to have that community. And he says, if you have that opportunity, be grateful. So many times we like to criticize our church. And I'm not talking about just this local body. You know, whatever church, in terms of any church 
uh, Christian community, a group, a body of believers that come together. It's easy for us to complain and criticize. But could it be that we're under construction, and just as we're under construction, so is everyone else. So is everyone else. You know how people think that the church is full of hypocrites? Well, they're right, if, if in a sense. Um, if you define hypocrite as someone who doesn't do what they say, um, yeah, I think we are all hypocrites in the sense that there's a lot of things that we would like to do that we don't do. But if you look at the original meaning of the word hypocrite, the original word hypocrite actually means actor. An actor is someone who pretends to be someone that they're not. And I think that's where the problem lies. I think that the reason why the world thinks we're hypocrites and the reason why the church they think is just hypocritical is because we haven't been honest and transparent about who we are. That it's okay to say, my name is Jinha and I struggle with X, Y, and Z and I'm on the construction. God is still working on me. Somehow we think that we all have to be here and that we have to be this perfect you know, ideal of what God wants us to be and that we expect that of others as well. But meanwhile, we forget that the Bible makes it very clear that we're under construction. God never said, I want you all to be perfect and to come together and be perfect and then represent. And I think we have this wrong idea of what church is and what a Christian is. And so no wonder everyone out there thinks we're hypocrites because their expectations is what we expect of others, even though we don't necessarily give that same standard to ourselves. So I wonder, if we were more genuine about the fact that we're under construction and more forgiving and merciful and gracious to one another, that we are all in the same boat, what kind of reputation would the church have? What kind of ideas of church can we then spread? And could it be that as we rub against each other, as we become that living stone that tried to come together into that same purpose, that through the actual rubbing that we do become polished, that through the, the struggling to, to, to fit in, that we actually become better fulfillments of who God designed us to be. There's another quote here from another um, writer that says, Enfeebled and defective as the church may appear, the church is the one object upon which God bestows in a special sense his supreme regard. It is the theater of his grace in which he delights to reveal his power to transform hearts. I like that phrase. It's a theater of grace. It's a place that we're supposed to share and experience grace. A place where we can say to one another, you know what, that thing you said hurt me, but I forgive you, and I've done this thing, and I, please forgive me. To be able to build close, intimate relationships with people who are completely different from you, people that normally you wouldn't gravitate towards. I think that's what's special about a church community, is that at a workplace, you're, you're there with some like-minded people who enjoy the kind of work that you do. Or when you, when you find your friends, you find friends who enjoy the hobbies that you do. But the church is a place where there's only one foundation, only one thing in common, and that's Jesus. And then everything else could be radically different. Opinions, beliefs, um, personalities, experiences. But Jesus says, I want you to come together. I want you to build upon me. And it's possible because of me. I've asked my father-in-law, while I was preaching at Rockbank Church this morning, my father-in-law was given the task of putting together uh, the foundation. This is um, the cross. 
And I think it really represents well how we can have community with all these living stones that are rough around the edges. How can we come together? Well, when Jesus died on the cross, not only did he bridge the gap between humanity and God, but he also bridged the gap between one another. The horizontal relationships that we have, how? Through the forgiveness that we can experience, and Roy preached a sermon on forgiveness a few weeks ago, how when we truly understand how much God forgave us, we are then motivated and able to forgive one another, to accept each other, even if they're different, to, to love one another, even if they sometimes do things we don't like, to be able to become one through Jesus Christ. The challenge for us as a Christian community, especially as Roy shared, we've only been, this particular local body has only been together for a few months. We're new, you know, we're, we're, we're still trying to get to know each other, and there's going to be times, if it hasn't already happened, there may be times where there might be a few words spoken or a few things done, and you might think, oh, I really didn't like that, or I don't know if I want to go back, or, you know, there's, there's going to be things, it's inevitable. And if I ever do things, I'm sorry in advance, I don't mean to. But we as human beings, we're just under construction. And my challenge is this. My challenge is that we would, one, give each other that grace, that, to make this place a theater of grace, but also to remember why we come, that it is about Jesus Christ and the mission that he has given us to represent him to the world, and that in order to do that, we need each other. In order to do that, we can't represent God by ourselves. During the 10th century BC, the builders were constructing Solomon's, um, what's called Solomon's temple, but it was God's temple that, that Solomon uh, ordered to be, to be built. And if you look at the story in 1 Kings, it says that in building the temple, the blocks were, uh, were at the quarry, and they were cut and polished there. So that when it was brought over to Jerusalem, not a single sound of a hammer or a chisel was heard. They were already all chiseled and perfect, and then brought over and just slid into place, okay, to minimize the noise, to keep that place a sacred place, and, you know, that, that's what they did. But here's what happened. There was this one stone that they had brought over, and it didn't fit anywhere. So, you know, they're trying to maneuver, and you can imagine back then when they didn't have cranes, how difficult that must have been. And so after they're trying to maneuver this, there, and that, they finally say, ah, forget it, we're just going to leave it here. It was a large, massive stone. So they left it there, and they continued the work. It took years for them to build this temple. But what would happen is they kept stumbling. Like this thing was totally in their way, right? And um, it was really a stumbling block to some of them. And eventually, you know, the building is, is getting there, and they realize they need to not put in the cornerstone. The cornerstone was one of the most important pieces of the building that, would, that needed to withstand the pressure of all the different angles and the whole building, etc., and when they looked for a stone that was strong enough to withstand that and to be able to fit there, what they realized was that stone that they had forgotten about for years, they found that that stone, because it had been there, had weathered through the time and had become strong and able to be that cornerstone. True story. So then they used that to erect, um, to be the cornerstone for the temple that Solomon built. And Peter, knowing that history, uses that history to say in, in the first Peter um, passage that we looked at earlier, 
coming to him, the chief cornerstone. He talks about that if you go back there and look. And he says, that chief cornerstone that people rejected, but actually is the cornerstone. He says, coming to him, that cornerstone, we are living stones built up together to be that spiritual house. So my challenge this afternoon is that if you have sometime in your life or even in the the present, had one of those ten excuses or maybe another one that wasn't up there about why you didn't want to belong to a church community, I want to challenge you to go back to the foundation of Jesus Christ. Make him your cornerstone. And I think you'll realize that as we come to Jesus, we realize that that means one step closer to the people around Jesus. That we cannot love God without loving his other fellow children as well. There's a verse in Hebrews that says, And let us consider one another... That's a picture of the cornerstone. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. The challenge is that until we do see Jesus face to face, let's have the courage to face one another. Let's have the courage to say, you know what, it's difficult, but I believe through faith that God, who is working on me, working on you, will help us to better represent Jesus to the world. And I believe that when we, this diverse group of body, can come together, that the world out there will be able to say, wow, those two can get along? There must be a God. If those two can love each other, there must be a God. And I think that's a testimony that we want to see and hear. At this time, there's going to be a a song, uh, a video played, and... Hopefully by now you have completed your Lego pieces. Um, And there's a reason why we've given you the Lego pieces. Because you know what? Sometimes um, life is unfair in the sense that we've all been given different talents, different personalities, different life circumstances. You've been given something, right? And the question is, well, what can you make of it? And, And what you make of it is who you are today, basically. This is me. Uh, a little red, white, and blue, you know. But anyways, and so um, this is me, and I'm not going to go into why I did what I did, but if this is me, sometimes we look at our kind of who we are, and we wonder, well, aren't I better by myself? But let's see what happens when we come together, and I want us to put our Lego pieces on top of this cross um, to represent what a church body could look like. And I know some of you are thinking, well, my piece isn't going to fit on there. But let's, let's see what happens. So we're just going to play the video um, to have the background. And as it's playing, just come up. Just, you know, I'm sure there won't be a mad dash <laughs> to the front, well, except for Chris. But um, come up. Bye. 
What happened as you were coming up? Some of you, I noticed, were kind of hesitating. Where do I put it? Do I put it here next to this person? It's a little bit like, you know, afterwards we go in and you're supposed to mingle. You're like, oh no, where do I go? And how do I? Who do I talk to? And it's awkward. And um, notice that someone whose name I won't mention starts with a C came over and knocked one of the pieces over. That happens. That happens in church. Um, someone, and it was inattention, not intentional, I'm sure, I'm sure. But, um, you know, things, and, and I noticed that um, someone else, whose name I will mention, his name starts with D, was like, I'm going to go to the edge and just, I'm, I'm barely in there, but I kind of am. I'm not really sure. And this is church. I think um, it just really shows our different personalities, our diversity. But isn't this so much more interesting in your own piece. And aren't you all of a sudden interested in, wow, why, what's that? And who's that? Imagine if we could channel that and actually look to each other and said, I want to know about you. Um, I want to know what, what you're doing during the week and what you're struggling with or um, what you love to do. What are your passions? To be interested in each other, to care about each other, and to build a community that not only is interesting and beautiful and diverse and colorful, but also um, somehow able to then show how wonderful Christ is. And if we could do that, what an amazing community this would be. So this afternoon, I want to invite you as we um, now go into our discussion. Today's discussion is a little different in that um, we're going to discuss, but also brainstorm on a practical level. How can we make the community better? How can we truly um, be a part of the community? What unique gifts do I have that I haven't thought about contributing? Or what are some ways that um, we can uh, make church more attractive to our unchurched friends and neighbors? And so I want to invite you to stay. And of course, as Roy said, we're going to have um, some nibbles as well as dinner afterwards. And so you're welcome to stay. And at this time, we're going to invite Daniel and Alex and Haley um, to come up. And uh, I'll let them um, bless us with the song that they have prepared. My name is Daniel, and this is Haley and Alex. And um, yeah, I want to thank Roy for um, inviting us here to play. We're going to play a song today that's called It's Alright by um, an artist called Chris 
long up north. And I guess what the song sort of means to me is um, it's about um, God being there for you as an individual because we need strong individual, individuals in God to build good community. So we really hope you enjoy. Father God, we thank you that you're not done with us yet, but that uh, we are your workmanship, we are your poetry, and you're putting us together side by side so that together we can inspire and that we can reflect you. And I just, I just pray that we would have the courage um, to face the difficulties and the challenges and ultimately the blessings of being in a community, that even though it might be counterintuitive and even though it might be um, easier to just be by ourselves. I pray that we would trust 
that there is something to be gained of you and of ourselves even to um, come together. And I pray that um, you would continue to encourage us and that you would continue to be our foundation that binds us together and that you would break down any barriers between us and that, Father God, as a community, we can do the same, that we can extend that same grace to those outside um, and break down more barriers there. And, Father, I pray that as we continue to become here, um, the exchange, this local church body, um, a church uh, that not only hopefully provides a safe place of community but also a place of service, I pray that we can impact the city, the city of Melbourne, um, that you love so much and that Father God will be able to um, share that love with them. I pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.